Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for American soccer. Uh, Man City, the juggernaut that it is, the TST 77 tournament, the Saudi plan, Zlatan, Lasso, Messi, and so much more. First joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this Monday, June 5th in the year 2023? I am doing well, although it's been pointed out to me on Twitter that I always respond to that question by saying doing well. So I need to come up with a different phrase to mix it up. Well, first off, uh, you should never live your life by what happens on Twitter. Uh, I've learned that over the years. Uh, secondly, you should never apologize for actually having good days and consecutive and consistent good days. While it makes you unique and rare relative to maybe other people out there, uh, you know, count your lucky stars, my friend. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that wish they could be as happy and positive as you. And I don't think you say it flippantly. I don't. Th I think you generally are having good days you have a you have a pretty good life my friend don't you think not bad <laughs> could be better could be worse i hear you i hear you uh did you watching anything i did finally watch the is it the season finale or series finale of ted dun, lasso dun, dun. yeah they're being a bit coy about that i think it's i think it is the series finale uh in this iteration i think there's going to be split offs and you know anytime you have a big juggernaut of a of a show here you're going to try to make other stars you know have their own way i'm not sure they will ever live up to the original and i'm not sure that uh, jason sudeikis for example wants to continue to do something like that so he might jettison and go off and do other things and then the others maybe will have an attachment in the franchise if you will of the uh, lasso universe uh, this was a polarizing third season. I liked it more than others. Uh, but even people who disliked the season overall seem to be okay with this finale. I thought it was a pretty good episode of okay. television. All right. Well, like I said, I have yet to binge it, but now I am able to binge it. I will go through it and I will give my final uh, final verdict. But like you said, I think people thought that there was an arc in terms of the jumping of the shark early on and it kind of got back to where it needed to be and finished uh, finished strong. Uh, let's see, what did I watch? Oh, documentaries. Uh, oh, I watched this incredibly controversial documentary. Have you seen this uh, What is a Woman documentary? Millions of people watch this thing anyway. Matt Walsh, Walsh did it. Um, it's not as controversial or crazy, and, uh, and you're, you're going to be fine if you watch it. And um, it's actually kind of 
interesting and it's kind of funny at different times uh, and serious uh, as it goes through the question as he goes around and asks uh, this question. So that was uh, that was interesting. And that's on the tip of a lot of people's tongues now because of because of its controversial nature nature. But it's OK to watch controversial things. And uh, then HBO has this new documentary called How to Create a Sex Scandal which is this horrible story from back in 2005. I, I had never even heard this story, but back in 2005 with these, um, these foster kids who accused their parents and other members of their family of, uh, of abuse. And these people you know, ultimately were convicted and went to jail. And it turns out that it was all um, allegedly made up by these children and it's, it's just a, a crazy horrible frightening type of scenario and story but it's um you know it basically talks about how unfortunately easy it is to actually create a sex scandal and for people to get caught up in it and lives to be ruined uh because of that so both of those are uh, are interesting and i i guess like i said c- controversial um you ready to light this candle my friend let's do we it. got all sorts of stuff to talk about uh where should we kick it off here Well, we had some news late last week that broke right after we finished taping our podcast. Uh, CONCACAF announced the provisional rosters for the upcoming Gold Cup. The U.S. uh, with a 60-man squad. A lot of the big-name European players are on there. Guys like Pulisic, Balogun, Reyna, McKinney, Moose, etc. But we continue to hear it's going to be mostly an MLS-based squad for that tournament. I mean, I think you have to cover all your bases and uh, you know spread your chips out here. So a lot of them, like you said, that are on the uh the nations league team you know who knows maybe they continue on maybe they don't play or are hurt god forbid and then you can uh, continue on so you just have to have them out there i mean a couple of uh, a couple of notes here aiden morris um uh columbus crew midfielder on both the canadian roster and the u.s roster so in this evergreen type of conversation that we have of you know the real competition if you will for dual nationals uh, he's obviously being pulled multiple ways uh, if we when i say the u.s don't have aiden morris is it <laughs> is it gonna uh, bend, us, uh, bend us out of shape and uh be a big problem no but he he's a nice to have but not a need to have i agree yeah this one kind of snuck up on everybody and i don't i don't see u.s fans as being that uh worried about whichever way this one goes well this, you know, like I said, it, we're not going to go through the roster, 60 names, and it will be pared down eventually. And there will be a difference, dramatic maybe in terms of the names and the pedigrees of these two uh, these two teams. But we've seen this done before where both, and you can say A, B, whatever you want to call it, both teams ultimately were successful uh, in a summer. And so that's ultimately what you want if you are... Um, BJ and uh, and company right now. I was going to say, in terms of what the final squad might look like, it's going to be a typical BJ Callahan squad. <laughs> typical. You know what? You love it <laughs> and you expect it, right? Um, all right. So that's, you know, that's the potential good that we have happening when it comes to American soccer with both of these uh, opportunities uh, for uh, for the U.S. national team coming up. But it has to be said, it, it was not a good weekend for U.S. soccer in general in terms of the results and the significance of the, some of these results. Correct. We'll begin with the under-20 Men's World Cup. The United States out in the quarterfinals. They suffered a 2-0 defeat to Uruguay, a goal in each half. The second one was a blooper own goal by Joshua Winder. A successful tournament overall. The U.S. won their first four games without conceding. They played some pretty good soccer, showcased several players. 
But if you're somebody who wants to see the U.S. win one of these tournaments, they can't get over that quarterfinal hump, fourth straight under 20 World Cup. They go out in the quarters. And the, the previous best finish was back in 1989, uh, I think, or something like that. You know, the likes of Casey Keller uh, and Mike Burns and Neil Cavone. There's a, there's a shout out for some older names. Um, so, yeah, it's been decades now of futility when it comes to the men's side uh, and the under 20 World Cup. And this was going along swimmingly undefeated, uh, no goals scored against, scoring goals, looking good, and you come up against an Uruguay who wasn't, I don't think, if you look at it uh, player to player or team to team, a great team, but they took their chances. The defense uh, for this U.S. team broke down in individual mistakes, but, you know, they had plenty of the ball, and I think if you watched from the beginning, you saw that what they were trying to do, and oftentimes were successful in doing it, up to a point of not putting it in the back of the net, that there is plenty to be um, excited about and to praise. But ultimately, this is still about winning. And um, I don't know if you saw that uh, our good friend Stu Holden took a shot from the uh, folks over there at uh, Soccer America, Mike uh, Wojtela, I think, because of the way that Stu had framed uh, an incident and had said that um, he had extolled the virtues of a player taking somebody down, you know, the dark arts sort of stuff. And uh, I think Soccer America's point was that young players take their cue often from entertainment and from uh, broadcasting. And so he was doing a disservice to the, to the youth. I only say that because I think there is an element, and it's completely fair and justified, that doesn't ultimately care how we win. When I say the we, I mean the U.S. They just want to win. And if it's ugly, it's ugly. If it's beautiful, it's beautiful. And, you know, this was a game where Uruguay did what they needed to do to win the game. And ultimately, this is about winning. Even at a young age, it still should be about winning. At all costs, no. But with the recognition that the things you do now, if you do matriculate up, are going to be important going forward. I don't think anybody's taking their cue from Stu Holden. So Soccer America <laughs> doesn't need to worry about that. But I will say, keep an eye on Uruguay. They just hired our good friend Marcelo Bielsa as their head coach. Yep. He obviously has a lot of established talent to work with, guys like Darwin Nunez, Federico Valverde, Ronald Araujo, et cetera. And they also have a lot of good young players coming up. In Bielsa's first squad, he, he included several players from this under-20 team. The U.S. obviously hosting the Copa America next year. Uruguay is a team they could potentially face. If the U.S. was to hire Jesse Marsh, then we'd have a battle of former Leeds coaches. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, oh, jeez. No, <laughs> always leads back to Leeds, right? Yep. Uh, wh- who, uh, who comes out of this looking, uh, looking good? Selena, I thought, was good in goal, um, you know, for the most part. And there's, there's nothing he could necessarily do. Uh, Kate Cowell, right? Uh, some goals. Uh, who else? Anybody else? That, uh, Diego uh, Luna. Out? Diego Luna. McGlynn. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I think there are some players that are going to matriculate up to the senior team, as you and, say. And it's always this... This balance, like I said, of this is to develop players, but it is you're still you're also developing their competitive sense. And and ultimately, they're going to be judged on tournaments. They're going to be judged, hopefully, if they all go forward on a World Cup. And in that moment, you know, for example, the first goal, if you dive in in that moment, that is a problem, even if you're playing well and little moments like that. Are, are important. So I think this this group uh, deserves praise within reason. 
Um, but also, you know, a recognition of it is small things. It is little details against uh, against other teams. Uh, Uruguay will face Israel in the semis. Well, how did Israel get through? Mossy? Israel stunned Brazil in the quarters. Is it Ma- that much of a stunner? Mazel tov to our Israeli <laughs> listeners. It is worth noting uh, this tournament was originally supposed to be in Indonesia. And the reason it was changed to Argentina is because Indonesian politicians were talking about banning Israel and there were protests against Israel's involvement. So FIFA decided that it wasn't appropriate to hold the tournament there anymore. They moved it to Argentina. And lo and behold, Israel going on this fantastic run there in the semis. It would be an incredible story if they ended up winning the whole thing. Awesome. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's awesome in the context of why the, the tournament was moved. And you know, to have Israel be on this type of stage that, that let's be honest, traditionally they aren't. Eh, I'm, I'm here for it. I, I'm, I'm digging it. We just celebrated the 75 year anniversary of the creation of the state of Israel, May 14th, 1948. And to go through your Brazil team, that's no small feat. So congratulations to them. Um, the other semifinal, Italy, South Korea. South Korea runners up in 2019 to Ukraine, and here they are in the semi. So they're building some nice pedigree at this level. Uh, and no matter what, we'll have somebody who's never won the uh, under 20 men's World Cup be a winner. Correct. Um, staying at the under 20 level, but shifting to the women, uh, the United States lost to Mexico in the final of the CONCACAF under 20 women's championship, two to one. It's interesting because at senior level, the US and Canada are clearly the two best teams in right. CONCACAF. But at this age level, Mexico actually has some pretty good pedigree. This was the fourth straight Mexico-U.S. final, and Mexico has won two of them. So make of that what you will. And keep in mind that Mexico, uh, from a senior team, did not qualify for the World Cup, so we won't see them uh, them this summer. Look, uh, from a U.S. women's perspective, uh, there is plenty of talent. And while they had already qualified for the World Cup, this is this game is not meaningless. This is still a final. And it doesn't matter, men's or women's, this is Mexico. This is a rival. And so... It's it's never a good look to lose to Mexico, especially uh, especially in a final. But you know, you maybe you lose the battle, win the war, ultimately, uh, and they get to go to the uh, World Cup still. And so there's good things coming for uh, U.S. women, but never like to lose to Mexico. Staying with the Mexico-U.S. theme, but at club level, uh, the match you and I covered last night, LAFC Leon, the second leg of the Concacaf Champions League final. Leon had won the first leg two one. They win the second leg 1-0. Lucas Di Iorio with the only goal in the first half. So they complete a 3-1 aggregate triumph. Leon are your 2023 CCL winners. The trophy goes back to Mexico. LAFC miss out on being the second straight MLS team to win it. Yeah, and look, we we make no bones about it. We look at things through the uh, lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. And from a U.S. perspective, this is, uh, this is a bummer. But I also think that it's important right off the bat to congratulate Leon. And, uh, you know, to your point, Mossy, this is a Lyon team uh, that we said numerous times last night. Uh, th- this isn't a super club, okay? Yes, they spend money, but MLS teams, including LAFC, spend more money. And, uh, you know, this is a team that has never been to these heights. They've never won a CONCACAF Champions League. And they are now the best team in CONCACAF. They will be representing CONCACAF not only in the next uh, um, FIFA Club World Cup, but in the following one, too. So this was a huge, huge moment for Lyon. For Mexican soccer, yes, uh, because of what happened last year, and they wanted to kind of set out. I don't think if Mexican soccer had picked the team to do it that they would have picked Lyon, but it ends up being Lyon that kind of writes the ship and says that last year's Seattle win 
was an, an anomaly. Whether it was or not, that's the perception that uh, that folks will have here. And let you know, to the to the victor go the spoils. And Leon came in. I thought that they were smarter in the way that they played. They were more mature, and they shut down a very good LAFC team in both legs. Steve Tarundolo, um is a big boy, and he will obviously take criticism for both of these results, including this uh, second leg result. That that was that was not good. He changed the formation in you know arguably the biggest game. Uh, and it didn't work out. He started Kalini, who hasn't started for a uh, for a long time in the back. Not that that was necessarily the problem, but you know these are the types of the decisions that will be gone over. Uh, Carlos Vela did not show up. For me, that was a huge disappointment. And it's not that he has to carry this whole team on his shoulders. As a matter of fact, they've shown that that's not necessarily what he needs to do. But he is a star for a reason. He gets paid the big bucks. He has all the attention. And he is a generational type of talent that oftentimes has shown up. But there was a point last night, I think, where, speaking of Stu Holden, I think he was talking about how it was not the right type of game for Carlos. A soccer game is the right type of game. And if it has to be pristine, an ideal situation, if if LAFC has to have all of the ball and everything has to be going well for Carlos Vela to show up, then that's not a star. We're going to talk about stars later on. Stars show up when you need them. Stars show up when things are not going well and show why they are big. And Carlos Vela, it's not that he looked uninterested. It just nothing was happening for him. And that's a problem for LAFC. It's not that they don't have other talent uh, out there, but nothing ended up working. And there was plenty of you know shithousery going on, but you knew that was going to happen for uh, playing against a Mexican team and playing here in the U.S. And so plenty of injuries and time wasting. There was 10 extra minutes, all that. But all in all, just a real downer and bummer and disappointing type of ending to something that could have been so positive for LAFC, for Major League Soccer, and for American soccer. I got this one completely wrong. I thought LAFC was the better team. Throw in the fact that Leon had a 24-day layoff before the first leg. I expected LAFC to win this final, but they were really poor over both legs. We talked about it. Leon should have won that first game 4-0. Mm-hmm. Uh, LAFC very fortunate to still be alive going into the second leg. Um, they had a good first 10 minutes, I thought. Buanga missed an incredible oh. chance early on. But then once Leon settled down, they got the goal. They created other chances. They looked very comfortable at the back. By the middle of the second half, they were O-laying LAFC. So, yeah, give them credit. Uh, I don't think, though, this means that Seattle was an aberration. I do think MLS has caught up. Uh, These matchups no longer have a David versus Goliath feel. It feels like teams that are on the same level. And I'd be very surprised if Liga MX now rips off a bunch of CCL titles. I think we're going to enter an year where it's going to be back and forth. MLS is going to win some. Liga MX is going to win others. I think, well, the, the tendency is to say, oh, here we go again. And it's another situation where uh, this MLS team and MLS in general thought that they were better than they actually were. And as I said, uh, congratulations to Lyon. But what ended up happening was Steve Terundolo and company picked the worst possible moment to have two crap games. That was not indicative of the talent uh, and the quality that LAFC can muster. But a lot of that is down to a very good team that they uh, that they came up against. So congratulations to, uh, to, uh, to Leon. Um, as far as the 
you know, the way that Seattle has been has been framed. I agree with you that while it will be the perspective will be, all right, it was an, an anomaly and aberration last year. No, I, I don't think that's the case. And MLS absolutely has has progressed. However, I would love nothing more than to see MLS take off all of the restrictions and reins. If the ownership and, and, and by doing so, by the way, it means they completely throw out what has created MLS over the last 30 years. But if the ownership was allowed to do individually what they feel is best for their product, and I know that's not necessarily a single, single entity, what would LAFC look like? What would other teams look like? And then what would the ultimate comparison be between MLS teams and Liga uh, uh, MX teams? Now, we're going to continue to have this conversation because the... Uh, Nations Cup, what do we call it? Leagues, Leagues, Cup. Leagues Cup is coming up, uh, which features all of the teams from Major League Soccer and all of the teams from Liga MX. So no, this competition isn't going away, but I am starting to get frustrated and tired of seeing MLS on a consistent basis playing with one foot behind their back, if you will, relative to the restrictions that I know are in place for a reason and I know are in place and have been enabled MLS to be successful and to survive and or thrive through the years. But you just kind of like to see what it would look like if there were none of those restrictions in place. And Leon spared us uh, a debate on today's podcast oh, about yes. whether this would constitute a treble for LAFC. <laughs> this was something you asked me about on our last podcast. I said it was a gray area. You accepted that answer. At that point, you didn't seem that invested in this debate. But then in the ensuing days on Twitter, a lot of snobs started pushing back on any notion that this would be a treble. And they touched the nerve with you. And all of a sudden, yesterday you came in with fire in your eyes. You were hoping LAFC could win so you could proclaim to everybody that, yes, this <laughs> would have been a treble. So, yeah. So my uh, my thesis was that uh, that winning Supporter Shield, then winning MLS Cup, then turning the corner, which is where do we get into this gray area, and winning um, a uh, CONCACAF Champions League basically uh, in that first six months would qualify them for, I said the treble, but evidently that is a, a word that uh, I'm co-opting over here. And so I'll just call it the triple or the tray or whatever it is that you want to want to call it. And because of the unique aspect of Major League Soccer that plays from February to uh, to December, as opposed to most leagues around the world that that turn the corner and kind of finish their season with CONCACAF champion, or, or it would be UEFA Champions League, I just look at it as take a year, uh, wherever that year starts and ends, and the amount of times that you are raising a trophy, then it can be the treble or it can be the quad uh, or the, the tray, I guess it would be the tray or the quad or the quint or the sex. I don't know if that's right, but you know what I'm talking about. And as I told you yesterday, golf had this similar debate when Tiger Woods won four straight majors in a row, but not in the same year. So people called it the Tiger Slam. So I guess this would have been the LAFC treble. Yeah, and they could have gone for the quadruple had they not been, well, well, they do have uh, league, League's Cup coming up, and that could possibly have done it. They, they bombed out of uh, a Lamar Hunt Open Cup, uh, famously to the Los Angeles Galaxy. So it was on the offing for them to win a bunch of trophies. But there were people that were none too happy with me, as is often the case, that I even had the audacity to suggest that it would have been a triple 
had they won last night. But we'll never know uh, ultimately what uh, <laughs> what what it would come down to because they obviously lost. And when we get to our second segment, we do have a team in Europe that is going for an undisputed treble. So, we'll so but you that. never really came down on one side or the other. You just called it a gray area. Had they won, would you be able to justify it as a triple? No, because no. they occurred in different seasons. I link the CCL of a calendar year to the MLS and Supporter Shield of that same calendar year. Even though they qualify for it because of what they did at that point? Correct. So the previous, okay, anyway. So you, no, but I acknowledge it's debatable. It's so, you would, so, so you would start it basically for LAFC. It would start right now. They would have won, if they had won last night, it would be one. Then conceivably you could call, talk Leagues Cup as two. Then Supporters Shield three, potentially MLS Cup four. That, that's the way that you would count it though. It would be all in that specific calendar year. And that's the only way that you would look at it. Correct. All right, okay. Uh, let's transition to Major League Soccer, shall we? Okay. We had some managerial news a few days ago. Phil Neville is out at Inter-Miami. Yeah, he was sacked by his old buddy David Beckham. Uh, tough to argue given the results, but then the Inter-Miami fans booed his son, Harvey, and I know you had some thoughts on that. Well, no, I mean, first off, you know, the dynamic, and this is not necessarily new, it's happened before, of you know, having a boss... Uh, and someone that is in charge of your future professionally that you grew up with, that you played with, that you, you know, publicly have talked about, you know, the relationship and the friendship. And I think that Phil Neville um, has been there and lasted this long because of that relationship. Is that wrong in this day and age where we talk about cronyism and nepotism and all this kind of stuff. It's just the reality of the situation. He was given the benefit of the doubt and given as long a leash um, that he had because I think of this relationship and because I think they believed that he could find a way out of it. But ultimately, this, this was not getting better. And it was stops and starts, one step up, two steps back. And so uh, and so the change is made. Now, this might coincide with major changes when it comes to Miami with the messy talk and, you know, Tata Martino out there and all these different things, uh, different things out there. But I will say this, you know, and we meet with these with these coaches and I've met with hundreds and hundreds over the years. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to him, I really enjoyed talking to him about his team, hearing him talk about the game, hearing him talk about his experience in Major League Soccer. So I, in that sense, and because that's not always the case, there's, there's sometimes where you talk and they don't either they don't care to talk or what they say is you know, derogatory towards, uh, towards MLS or towards American soccer or, or their experience. And that was absolutely not the case. He was incredibly positive, incredibly interesting in the way that he talked about it. So thank you uh, to Phil Neville. When it comes to the other day, and you mentioned his son, this is also nothing new. It's a phenomenon that exists around the world and exists here. I mean, you look at everyone from Josh Wolf, whose son plays in the league, or Greg Berhalter, whose son plays in the league. Uh, obviously, you know, the Reinas and, and these types of stuff. We are going to have more and more of these on the men's and women's side as this generation grows up and there are more and more opportunities to play professional uh, in these leagues. By all accounts, you know, Harvey is still on Inter-Miami and is a, you know, a potentially a, a very good player. Um that he got booed relative to his father should come as no surprise to him or his father. And is it, is it nice? No. But it is beyond the pale? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, 
Phil Neville, you put Harvey in this position, all right, by agreeing to sign him. And while he is a good player, is he a great player yet? No. Did he get an advantage by you being the coach and uh, the head coach of the team? Sure. So I, I, you know, and that's not that Phil went crazy after it, but I just think that this was inevitable to have the sins of the father visited upon the son. Is it nice? Like I said, no, but it's part of uh, part of the game. And I think it is in a, in a strange way, fair game because of what has been created by a coach and a father having his son on the team. And if Michael Bradley walks out on the field and is booed for his performance and uh, by relationship uh, and uh, uh, his father, Bob Bradley, is booed by <laughs> by uh, the booing of Michael Bradley, you know, that comes with the territory. And uh, I think Michael Bradley has come to terms with that over the years. And uh, Harvey Neville will probably have to come to terms with that over the years, too. Interesting. When you requested this topic, I thought you were going to criticize the Inter-Miami fans. No, uh, not at all. I don't. Why you think it's beyond the pale? No, no. I just the tone of your text. Uh, oh, really? I, I misinterpreted that one. That's right. Um, <laughs> won't be the first time. <laughs> yep. uh, in terms of uh, some notable games this past weekend, Cincinnati one nil win over Chicago. Lucho Acosta with the goal. A lot of people think he's an MVP candidate. Uh, Cincinnati thirty nine points through sixteen games. That's the most in the post shootout era. Nine wins out of nine at home. They are your runaway supporter shield leaders. It's. I mean, it's it's wonderful. Um, I, I guess it's amazing, but again, this is MLS and you can go from first to worst and vice versa within the span of a year. But, you know, what, uh, you know, what, what Chris Albright, who has come in, what Pat Noonan has done coming in has been to recognize that defense wins in any sport, uh, and they have been stingy and they have been ruthless when it comes to their performances and it's, it's not eking out wins, but it is a recognition that one goal is fine. And we will, we will ride that to the end and we will get those uh, three points. And, and yes, I think Acosta is in the conversation, except what we're going to talk about next, Honey <laughs> Mukhtar, who just continues to double down on his MVP performance from last year and get better and better each and every time. But Lucha Acosta, I mean... His quickness for such a small, I mean, he is a case study in how you don't have to be big to be incredibly valuable and successful in this game. If you saw him walking down the street, you wouldn't say there goes a great soccer player or a great uh, a great athlete in the way that he looks. But he gets on the field with his vision, with his quickness, which is incre- with his incredible touch. Um, it's fun to watch. You mentioned Nashville, 2-1 away win over FC Dallas. Mukhtar with the winner, his 10th of the campaign. He now moves level with Buanga atop the scoring charts. Uh, Hani Mukhtar. Yeah, I mean, and that, we were talking earlier about uh, a star and what a star is. When everybody is expecting you to be a star and you star, that is the definition of a star. And on a continual basis, Hani Mukhtar, despite the fact that they are game planning for him, that there are multiple players on him. He continues to either score the goal, feed the goal, take players away that open up other players for this, uh, for this Nashville team. And people say, oh, you're, you know, you're Mukhtar dependent. Well, yeah, 
in the same way that when Messi is on the field, you're Messi dependent. And it doesn't mean that they can't win without him, but they they are obviously looking to him. And the best part is, is when they look to him, he delivers. Uh, St. Louis with a 3-0 home win over Houston. Leuven and Joaquini among the goal scorers. After having that blip in form, St. Louis back on track. I know the table's funky right now because LAFC have played uh, so many fewer games. But nevertheless, right now it's St. Louis atop the Western Conference. Uh, and look, to your point, there was a there was a, a moment not too long ago where we said, "All right, you know, the St. Louis is going to revert, and they are going to. It's all going to even out." And they have, you know, they had their moments, and they lost a couple games, lost games at home, and they looked, you know, not average, but they didn't look like the juggernaut that came out of the shoot on fire. And yet they've turned it around, and they've gotten more points. Let's see. Um, they 18 points already at home, uh, two losses at home, but they also have a winning record away. So it's not just the the home situation that's going well for them. And they're not doing it in, you know, we just talked about, you know, Hani Mukhtar and Acosta and these types of stars. And while they have people that are, uh, that are starring, that's not what this team has been about. And those question marks, that I think still remain as to whether they can sustain, I think some of them are dissipating and some of them are going away and are being replaced with a real confidence that this team may indeed be built for the long haul. You know, the dog days are summer are coming um, and some places they're already upon us and those sometimes wreak havoc, if you will. It is crazy, by the way. There are teams in the West that have played 17 games like Seattle. LAFC have played 12 that's a lot to make up. It's a lot of opportunity there. I mean, you know, <laughs> games in hand, though, we always talk about those. But they also, because of Champions League and that kind of stuff, they were given dispensation. All for nothing. All for nothing. <laughs> exactly. There goes the triple, the tray, the treble. <laughs> that is it. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, there was still some doings going on over there in uh, in Europe. And we will go all over that continent. No way. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's take a trip uh, trip around Europe. There were all sorts of doings, including the uh, Manser- Manchester Derby, Derby, whatever, rivalry. Yeah, we begin in England. Manchester City claimed a 2-1 win over Manchester United in the FA Cup final. The goals, uh, Gunnuin scored after just 13 seconds, Incredible. the fastest goal in FA Cup final history, an amazing strike. Then Manchester United equalized from the penalty spot later in the first half. I saw you arguing with people on Twitter about that Grealish handball. I am with you, my friend. So if people tune in today hoping that I would set you straight on this, uh, they're going to be disappointed. 
Not only did I think that was 100% the correct decision, but I think that should be a handball. There's a type of commentator who, anytime a handball is given now, they make some snarky remark about, well, in the modern game, letter of the law, I guess. I have no issue with you drawing up the rules in such a way where that's a handball. To me, if you jump and your hands are anywhere else than right next to your body and it hits you smack in the hand and blocks it from going in the direction of the goal, that has to be a handball. Jump and miss, by the way. So, I mean... I and I said this the other day, I think players in the modern game, okay, (laughs) they should approach every single action in the box under the assumption that if the ball hits their hand or arm, it could be called a penalty and that intent is irrelevant. And so you have to act accordingly. And if you don't in the modern day, you are naive and you deserve what you get. And that is why. We see defenders or smart defenders, defenders that have evolved and recognized they may not like it, but this is the way that the game is refereed and played nowadays. That's why we see defenders put their arms behind their back. And in that moment, Grealish misses the ball. He mistimes the ball. And in doing so, his arms flail out, which actually stops the potential cross from the header going uh, going going back across the face of the goal and a, and a goal uh, a punch, a potential for a goal uh, in that in that opportunity so yeah it, it's it's not as complicated as people are making it out to be if you just say look if it touches my hand or arm there's a possibility it can happen and then you just act accordingly so it was 1-1 at the break. Then City retook the lead early in the second half. They had a free kick. De Bruyne floated it to Gundogan. Kind of an awkward left-footed finish, but it trickled in. Did you think that was terrible goalkeeping by De Gea? Well, I mean, we were just talking about the uh, the CONCACAF Champions League final, and McCarthy had a kind of a shocker. It, it, I want to be fair to goalkeepers because it's easy from the couch or from the studio. But there, there's oftentimes their sight line, they're the only ones that have that sight line. We can estimate it and guesstimate it, but it's coming through different players. Um, it's at times being deflected and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think goalkeepers in general would look at and say, you should do better. You should do better on that. But, you know, sometimes goalkeeping is, and, and soccer in general, but goalkeeping is about rhythm. It's about the beats and the tradition that you have seen time and time again. And when that gets mixed up and there is a glitch a glitch in the matrix or something like that, it can make you look really stupid in that moment. And people can say, well, why can't you possibly see it? And I'm, I can't believe I'm defending goalkeepers here, but I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt of the recognition that, yes, it's a reactionary type of position, but those reactions are based on all the data that you have accumulated over the years and it's plugged in in that split second that makes you react to something. And when a, even just a little piece of data is off or not there or is changed, it can mess you up. So City take it 2-1. They were the better team they deserved to win. But I thought United gave a decent account of themselves. And they come out of this season with some reason for optimism. Third place in the Premier League, reached two cup finals. And now there's rumors that they might sign Harry Kane. More on that in a minute. Uh, for City, two down, one to go in terms of the treble. Uh, Sean Sullivan already wants to have the conversation today about where they rank among the greatest teams ever, which is very disrespectful towards Inter Milan. We still haven't (laughs) played the Champions League final. Um, But nevertheless, we could get a little bit of a jump on that conversation. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the betting odds are overwhelmingly in favor of Manchester City. This is a team the likes of which 
we may have seen, and that's up, up for debate, but I don't even think it's arguable, arguable right now that this is the best team in the world. And the other part of it is, is while they are operating and, and fighting on multiple fronts, it's not that they can't have a stinker, but they, those are rare. And the amount of depth that they have means that Pep, at any instant, can fundamentally change the game if it's not going even close to his liking and put in players that are as good and can do some amazing things. I mean, it's it you know the, the, the wealth of talent that he has is just amazing. Yeah, even in this FA Cup final, Kyle Walker got hurt and had to come off in stoppage time. And so Pep had to make a last second desperate sub bringing on Imeric Laporte, who's like a 60 million pound defender. <laughs> That's like their, you know, last second kind of throw in the game because somebody else got hurt type of move. But to producer Sean's question, uh, first off, they have to beat Inter. OK, and while we all recognize it would be a massive uh, surprise and shock if they don't beat Inter. They have to have that to be even in, to, for me to even be included in the best of all time. And whether you go back to, you know, Barcelona with Pep in the end of uh, the aughts and Manchester United 99s, um, Arsenal's, you know, the Invincibles, those types of stuff. Uh, they, the Invincibles who right, lost in the right? quarterfinals yeah, of the Champions exactly. League to Chelsea. So with all due respect to Sean Sullivan, I don't know what the heck they're even doing on this list. So for you to be considered one of the best all time, you, you at the very least, you have to have won Champions League. Yes. I mean, there, yeah. there's a whole slew of teams that have won the treble in the last uh, 20 years or so. So I think you begin with those teams. Uh, and okay. I, I don't know. If, okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. But I, I do think that when all is said and done, they are going to be in the conversation uh, going forward. But they still have to they still have to do it. And barring some catastrophic type of event or the soccer gods with their incredibly uh, um, strange sense of humor that they can often have, uh, they're going to win. Uh, La Liga came to an end this past weekend. Valencia stayed up. Uh, they ended the season with a 1-1 draw against Real Betis. Yunus Musa sent off in that one in what we all think was probably his last game. He for just him. wanted to go out with a bang. <laughs> still, uh, a good, still, you know, still a good uh, year for him, and I think he's got bigger things that he's heading to. Uh, Real Madrid finished second to Barcelona. They end the campaign with a 1-1 draw against Athletic Bilbao. The Real Madrid goal, Karim Benzema from the penalty spot. What we now know will be his last goal for Real Madrid, the 354th goal he scored for them. He is their second all-time leading scorer behind Cristiano Ronaldo. Won 25 trophies with them, which is tied with Marcelo for the most. But he is off to Saudi Arabia. You know, it's funny. On our last podcast, I said... This was like a 99% done deal that he was going. Then there was a twist. For a couple of days there, it was reported that he had changed his mind and was definitely staying, but then he changed his mind again, and now he is going. Real Madrid officially announced it, so it's a done deal. Uh, like, Green Benzema off to Saudi Arabia. They probably added another zero. <laughs> That'll change anybody's mind. I mean, it should, it should be said that you know, while you were talking about all his accolades, and I think people have come around to the greatness that is Benzema, there is a, a Rodney Dangerfield aspect to his career and never quite getting the attention. And, you know, whether it was because he was playing with Ronaldo or just because he's you know, kind of quiet in the way that he does things. And yet when all is said and done and people came and went, he was the constant and the consistency of scoring goals is is, is pretty incredible. But I don't think he's still ultimately going to get his 
get his due. What was impressive about him is all those years with Ronaldo, he played more of a false nine role. And then once Ronaldo left, they needed him to be a prolific goal scorer. And he became one uh, late in his career, scored a crazy amount of goals the last few seasons. And like I said, ends up as their second all-time leading scorer, past people like Raul and Di Stefano and Hugo Sanchez. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about you know, what's happening in, in Saudi Arabia. So, Well, just, just one last thing on this. So Real Madrid, they thought they were going to be in the market for a backup center forward for Kareem Benzema. Now they need to go out and get a starter. And they're talking about Harry Kane and so are Manchester United. So Harry Kane might have an interesting decision on his hands. I think Tottenham would rather sell him to Real Madrid to get him out of the Premier League. But Kane has indicated that he wants to become the Premier League's all-time leading scorer. He's 47 goals away from Alan Shearer. So that would mean Manchester United. But if he's leaving Tottenham ostensibly so he can win trophies, Real Madrid feel like more of a sure thing than Manchester United in that regard. So what do you think? If you were Harry Kane, the money was the same. Why do you care about being the all-time leading goal scorer in the in the Premier League if Real Madrid is possibly going to come? So get Real you? Madrid is Real Madrid. It's it's still Real Madrid, and you know, Alan Shearer didn't play at Real Madrid. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny from Real Madrid's perspective. Benzema had one more year left in his contract. I think in a perfect world they would have wanted him to stay, play that last year, and then. The following summer, they would either sign Mbappe, who, as we talked about, is going to be a free agent, or even make a run at Holland, who, after a couple of years of dominating in England, might be ready for that move. So they wanted to keep their powder dry for that sort of move. Benzema has kind of forced their hand where they have to sign somebody this summer. Kane, definitely the best option out there, but it, it would eliminate them from the Mbappe slash Holland sweepstakes, at least for the near future. For, yeah, but it does it does make sense. I mean, he. I guess I've never thought of it, but they are kind of the same type of player. And I, I just want to see Kane someplace else. I want, I want to see him without the, I guess it's the burden of Spurs. And, you know, they're not really doing anything. And it's, it's not his fault because he has consistently played up and scored the goals that he needs to do. But uh, to your point, unless somebody is going to come and, and get uh, Erlen Holland, which certainly I guess is a possibility, this is the next best thing out there. So I'd, I'd like to see it. And as it, it I, I get it, you're, you're English and you've grown up with the EPL and you've idolized Shearer and others and you, you want, and I think he, I think he still, he still could do that. He still could go to Real Madrid and then play a few years in the, uh, in the EPL. Many years ago, Gareth Bale essentially had the same choice leaving Tottenham. It could have been either Real Madrid or Manchester United. One of the great uh, Fox soccer office debates was we were discussing this at a production meeting and Brian McBride deigned to say that Real Madrid was a bigger club than Manchester United. And our old boss, John T. Whitehead, an Englishman, and Warren Barton couldn't believe he suggested that. They got into a heated argument about it, Real Madrid versus Manchester United. Do you think there's any question which is the bigger club out of those two? No, it's Real Madrid. I agree, but apparently it's, the English... No, no it, it's still Real Madrid, okay? They, they, <laughs> they threaten to lose it going forward, but I just think the, the pedigree... And look, it's not that Manchester United doesn't have an incredible history, but the, the Real Madrid is, is always, in my, at least in my mind, held themselves out into something more than just, just Spain. They were global before being global was a thing. And so I think that resonates. Uh, and I'm not saying that Manchester United isn't a, isn't a global brand, and especially now with what Manchester United is relative to what Real Madrid. So Benzema off to Saudi Arabia, another player who think people think might 
follow that same path as Lionel Messi. This past weekend, he played his final match for PSG. The Ligue 1 campaign drew to a close. PSG lost at home to Clermont Foot, and Messi was booed during their Ligue 1 title celebration. So he, he can't wait to get the hell out of there. His father is meeting right now with Barcelona's president to try to figure out any way that they can make the finances work there. And Messi's father came straight out and said his preferred option is to go back to Barcelona. Now, as we discussed, that doesn't necessarily rule out Inter-Miami. That could be part of some joint right. deal. The big thing right now is just to keep him from going to Saudi Arabia. So we'll see how that goes. Well, what do you mean keep him from going? Like, if, if he doesn't want to go to Saudi Arabia, his well, dad doesn't want him to go to Saudi Arabia. Why the hell is, why yeah. are we even talking about I, Saudi Arabia? I guess Arabia I'm then? saying from an Inter-Miami perspective, you wouldn't be that upset if he goes to Barcelona because that feels like a one or two year deal. In fact, that might even be a deal that you're involved in, as we discussed, where you buy him and loan him back or whatever. Saudi Arabia, then that becomes trickier for him to end up at Inter-Miami down the road. I mean, are we going to talk about the Saudi Arabia thing here uh, at some point? So we have an Ask Alexi question, which I think yes. was geared more towards MLS about developmental versus destination no, but leagues. I think we should. But let's, let's talk about I, it there. But, but you're going to... Let's talk about it then, because right. it, the what's going on there is is really interesting. Um, it's not that it hasn't been done before, but we're going to talk about that more. But if 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 Messi doesn't want to go to Saudi Arabia, then don't go to Saudi Arabia. I mean, I understand that. The other part is, Masi, you know, them getting booed as they leave the field. This phenomenon that's that exists now, let's be honest, in Spain, in um, Germany, where the title is a fait accompli for these super clubs, so much so that <laughs> nobody cares and they show that in there. They're booing the players. There's not really a celebration. It's just like, hey, we won. You know, uh, Bayern Munich, 11 in a row. They fire people after winning the title. It's just the devaluation of these titles, I think, has to be concerning for for these leagues. You're absolutely right. My father was lamenting this recently when I was at uh when I was in New York and we were at a bar having a few beers, he was Barcelona. We were watching a Barcelona game and they had just clinched La Liga and he was kind of like, does this matter anymore? There is this weird sort of dynamic that's creeping in. Oh, gosh. All right. Uh, one more Ligue 1 score. Hans lost 3-1 to Montpellier, but the Hans goal followed in Balogun. So he finishes the season with 21 Ligue 1 goals. Not bad for the American. Yeah. One of us. Um, finally, uh, Serie A drew to a close this past weekend, a season dominated by Napoli. They won the title going away. So not surprisingly, their players collected all the individual awards as well. Uh, but a, a couple of big stories, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, it had previously been announced that he was going to be leaving AC Milan, but we thought he might go play somewhere else. Instead, he came out and said he's retiring altogether. So they had a really nice ceremony at the San Siro after Milan's last game of the season. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, one of the all-time greats, one of a kind. Huh? I mean, just they broke the mold. And I I love him uh, for the player that he is. I think I love him for the personality that he is maybe even more. And talk about a star. And we've talked about it now multiple times on, the, on this show. This guy is the epitome of a star because he understood what a star needs to bring on the field and off the field. And he catered to that. And it was, it's just, I mean, to play that long, to score that many goals, to be that significant for such a consistent period of time, um, that we're not going to see, unfortunately, a Zlatan 
come along, uh, you know, every every couple of years. And he has a collection of goals that rivals that of any other player, including some unbelievable ones he scored in MLS during his couple of seasons with the Galaxy. Everybody talks about the one he scored on his debut against uh, LAFC and El Trafico, that which spawned that iconic John Strong call. Come on, come on, that long distance volley. My favorite one he scored for... Uh, the Galaxy was one against Toronto where it was a cross floated into the box and he did this crazy acrobatic spin move and one timed it in. You, you know the goal I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, absolutely incredible. Look, uh, I think he will go down as one of the great designated players in Major League Soccer history, even though it didn't result in titles. His impact and the must-see part of him is undeniable. So I, I will say this about Zlatan. He had and has this incredible, beautiful arrogance. And he harnessed it from an early age. He understood how it benefited him. And even at a time when people weren't talking about brands, he understood how it benefited his brand. But there was always a wink and a nod, almost a, um, a, a professional wrestling-esque understanding and relationship between Zlatan and the media and fans and everything out there in that he knew he was destined and you know, loved playing a role and playing a character. And how much of it is actually Zlatan and how much of it is a character is, is up for debate, but he made this sport better. He made this sport more fun. He made it more entertaining. And thank you, Zlatan. Now, there's some debate about where he ranks on the list of all-time greats. Uh, on the positive side, there was an incredible 15-season stretch where he won 13 league titles with six different clubs from Ajax to Juventus to Inter Milan to Barcelona, AC Milan, and PSG. However, I'm playing devil's advocate. Here are some of the arguments against that people bring up. Uh, never got to a Champions League final. Um, there was this awkward period where he was a star player for Inter Milan. They kept getting knocked out early in the knockout stage. And so he forced a move to Barcelona ostensibly so he could win the Champions League. But he didn't get along with Pep, didn't mesh well with uh, Messi. Uh, there's one season at Barcelona, they got knocked out in the semis. And the Inter team he had just left went on to win the Champions League, knocking off Barcelona in the semis. In fact, Barcelona won the Champions League the season before Zlatan with Eto leading the attack and the season after he left with David Villa leading the attack, but not the season he was there. Um, there's even with Sweden a little bit of Ewing theory stuff. Ewing theory being this term Bill Simmons coined years ago to describe the phenomenon where some teams actually play better without their big star. There were a couple of cycles in a row where he was Sweden's big star where they didn't qualify for the World Cup. And then when he stepped away from the national team, they not only qualified for it, but they got all the way to the quarterfinals in Russia in 2018. So does that detract at all from Zlatan? I don't think Zlatan is on the upper tier because I think when you get to the upper tier, it it does have... Um, what, what, you, what you do in terms of the titles and the trophies that you lift is relevant. However... There are plenty of players, hundreds of players, that have had success, that have won trophies, that have won champion, uh, UEFA Champions Leagues that we have no idea about. We don't listen to them. They don't matter. They don't resonate. Zlatan will be talked about for years. And so for me, it, it doesn't matter. I don't, uh, I don't care. I still put him as a superstar. I still put him, if there's a you know, best hundred players of the decade or the of the century and stuff like that. Absolutely, I include him. 
Uh, last, last thing. We have another European final to look forward to this week. Wednesday in Prague, uh, Fiorentina against West Ham in the Conference League final. For West Ham, it's their first European final in 47 years since the 1976 Cup Winners' Cup final. And Fiorentina, interesting stat, they're the only club to reach the final of all four major European club competitions that have existed. They got to the European Cup final in 1957, lost to Real Madrid. Uh, their star player back then was a Brazilian, Julinho Botelho. They got to a couple of Cup Winners' Cup finals. They got to that UEFA Cup final I mentioned recently in 1990 against Juventus. Roberto Baggio played for them in that final, then moved to Juventus that summer. And here they are in the Conference League final. So a club that we don't think of as being one of the great Italian giants actually has some interesting uh, pedigree in Europe. So looking forward to that. In last week's European final, you might recall, Roma lost to Sevilla on penalties. Uh, Jose Mourinho had an interesting reaction to that defeat, and we're going to talk about Mourinho in the one for the road today. Uh, can, I, can, I, can I throw one more thing about uh, Syria to you? Way back in the, uh, in the 90s, when uh, yours truly was running around there, uh, my team, Padova, we finished equal on points uh, at the end of the year in a relegation battle um, with Genoa. And because of that, we actually had a, an additional game, something they call a spareggio, all right, a playoff game with everything on the line. Winner stays up, loser goes down to Serie B. We ended up winning and staying up. Uh, this phenomenon is happening again. There was another one that happened in 2005. This phenomenon is happening again with uh, Spezia and uh, Verona uh, for the opportunity to stay up. And, uh, you know, these are these are the types of games that are incredibly you know, fraught with angst and uh, and pressure. But I thought I'd uh, give a shout out to uh, both of those teams and both of those fans that are going to go through this next week. And that is it. All right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring. Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point of the show where you send in your comments, questions, concerns. You use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on the social, uh, the social media platforms. And by the way, our handle out there on the social media platforms is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. Mossy, what do the uh, folks want to hear on this episode? Uh, let's start off with a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Alexi and Mossy. This is Alex from Chicago. Uh, I had a question. Do you guys are you guys aware of the TST tournament coming up here in June? The seven v seven tournament where a bunch of different uh, social media influencers, clubs around the world, uh, are putting together seven aside team to play for about I think it's a million dollar uh, game prize. Uh, if you are aware of it, like who are your who are your front runners for that tournament? I know there's hashtag United from non league and the YouTube side of things. There's Dortmund alumni team, Jimmy Conrad and Demarcus Beasley have a team, etc. Uh, just wonder if you guys knew about it and who do you guys think will win it? Thanks. All right. So obviously, if you're listening to this on uh, Tuesday, June 6th or beyond, uh, this this tournament has already happened. But I, I talked to producer Sean and I said, let's put this one back in uh, because 
some people were asking about this last week. And I ended up watching a lot of these games. It was on, uh, it was streaming on Peacock. And I got to tell you, it was, it was fun and it was entertaining. And to, uh, to his point, uh, Alex, there from uh, Chicago, there was all sorts of ex-pros. I watched, uh, I watched the U.S. women get crushed by men's teams, and they went out uh, in their uh, group stage. I think they had 24 goals against and one goal for. I watched Kenny Cooper Jr. I used to play for Dallas, great goal scorer, wonderful soft feet, still has those soft feet. So I watched him score a goal and take off his shirt celebrating a goal. I watched Clint Dempsey's brother, Ryan Dempsey, sport one of the most glorious mullets you will ever see in sports history. And I also watched, I'll be honest, to see the inevitable thickening of many of these ex-pros. I actually kind of felt good of myself. I, I, I turned 53 last week and uh, to see <laughs> to see some of the shape of some of these players, not Jimmy Conrad. He uh, is in incredible shape and uh, the Conrad Beasley team, although they didn't win, um, but it was fun. It was a fun format. Uh, they have the, the target uh, goal thing that happens after the game where they just add a point so if it's two to one at the end of their two 20 minute halves that they play, then basically the game goes to three. So the team that has two goals only has to score one goal and the team that has one goal only has to score two goals. And after five minutes, instead of being seven V seven, it goes to six V six another five minutes. It goes down to five V five. Anyway, it goes on from there. That's a really interesting um, rule. And I thought it makes it that much more uh, entertaining, but ultimately this is a tournament. There's a competitive vibe to it, and there's money on the line. A million-dollar prize. So congratulations to Newtown Pride, who won the entire tournament, the inaugural uh, TST uh, 7v7 tournament. And I think the owners probably are very, very happy with the way that it went down. It looked like a real celebration and almost a, a festival, a soccer festival, if you will, around this 7v7. And it'll probably only get bigger and better going forward. But they're they're definitely on to something. And this is also a byproduct of the basketball tournament that they uh, that they uh, that they also run here. So it, I, I, I'm in. I, I loved it. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. And I enjoyed what it came to represent, which was a celebration. And to Alex's point, Wrexham had a team, and you mentioned Dortmund and a lot of these uh, these teams. And you know, there's a million dollars, and you could see the competition ratchet up. I and mean, there, there were some hard hits too. So this wasn't just a just kick it around and have fun. Yes, there was a bigger element of celebrating soccer, but there was also an incredible competitive vibe going through. Seeing Mike McGee on the sidelines screaming and yelling at coaches and that kind of stuff. And our, our friend and colleague, uh, Clint Dempsey, who was out there also coaching, uh, Heather O'Reilly, who we'll see this summer uh, working with us at the uh, Women's World Cup, that kind of stuff. It was great. Did I see that Wrexham beat a U.S. women's team featuring Heather O'Reilly 12 No. Yes, yes. Well, that's interesting because Heather fiercely defended the U.S. women with their embarrassing behavior after that Thailand game at the last World Cup. Not so fun to be on the other end of one of those, huh, Heather? Well, to be fair to Heather, she and uh, the team, they didn't complain. They took their licks and, you know, credit to them because this was it was it was only one division. It was all uh, wide open. So men's, women's, I guess co-ed was was fine, too. Um, this was an all women's uh, former U.S. national team players. They were called U.S. women. And um, 
yeah, it didn't go well for them from a soccer perspective, but they had fun, and you know that's the that's the most important. It'll be interesting to see as if they go forward, do they split off and have a, have a men's and women's division uh, going forward to make it a little fairer and obviously a little bit more uh, a lot more competitive. Uh, what else, Mossy? Uh, next up, a Twitter question at Jaded Hubris: How does a development league evolve into a destination league? Is it strictly a money issue? Uh, it's not strictly a money issue. Um, and this is this is on the heels of some interesting things uh, that are happening, not the least of which is this Saudi Arabia situation. Just, but just in general, um, the way that you do it, I think, is that it's a couple of things. One, money is important, and I think the money has to be equal or better than the existing league that you are uh, that you are coming from. If you're a player coming, and if you are that league than the competition, if you will. So the money has to be equal or better. The location and the lifestyle has to be more appealing to players. And then players can't lose credibility by associating themselves with that league. And a lot of time that takes the form of you know, your national team or you know marketing and branding and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to you know, the money part of it, um, you know, from an MLS perspective, as I've said time and time again, we have not even seen close to what MLS could be because of the rules and the restrictions. And that's why I want to see ultimately what they could be. And I think we will eventually. But if you're not able to compete from a money perspective, and as I said, evil, either, either equal or better money, then you're not going to make that transition from at least being perceived as a developmental league. And I think MLS is much more than a developmental league. But yes, development is a huge, uh, a huge part of it. Where MLS actually benefits the most is the location and lifestyle. Um, there's a reason why millions of people <laughs> are coming here and continue to come here and want to come here and will do anything to come to the United States. If you gave Mossy the best 100 players in the world, the option of playing in China, Saudi Arabia, or the United States. I got a feel that the vast majority of them, and all things being equal, by the way, when it comes to money, that the vast majority of them for all of these different things that we're talking about, whether it's um, safety, whether it's quality of life, whether it's education, whether it's medical, whether it's community, all these different things, that players would choose to come to the United States. Problem is, when you have a situation like what is going on in Saudi Arabia right now, and this gets back to what we've been, been teasing, where not only are they offering more money, but astronomically more money than anybody else out there. And now we come to find out that Saudi Arabia as a country is, uh, are now being the, are, are, are bankrolling what is going on. So there's an actual national uh, intent that is coming from the Saudi Arabian government to make themselves a league uh, of choice and a destination. Now, we did see this years ago happen in China. And while the initial bump was great, it ultimately didn't result in, in everything going right. So it, all of that is to say that it can happen. A migration can happen to the United States, but you got to take the restrictions off. And players, again, have to come en masse so that that credibility is not hurt. One or two players, that's not going to happen. But if players, if people around the world are looking at the United States and Canada, if it's MLS here, and saying, 
These players are getting paid. They're living and having a great lifestyle. And they're still great for my national team. And they're not suffering when it comes to that. That's the trifecta. That's what you're ultimately hoping to achieve. Yeah, the China example is interesting. As you mentioned, a few years ago, they were what Saudi Arabia is today, throwing around crazy money. But they had the ultimate goal of winning a World Cup. And they thought that by bringing these big stars to China, it would help the uh, domestic talent improve. And when that wasn't happening and the national team was still struggling, they put the brakes on all that and instituted all these restrictions on foreign players because they want, ultimately, they want the Chinese player to improve and the national team to get good. I don't know if Saudi Arabia has those same concerns. And by the way, they had a decent World Cup. They beat Argentina. Um, so that's going to be interesting to follow over the next few years if they even care about that or no, just about uh, the glamour of getting all these big stars to go over there. And look, they got the money. So, you know, until, you know, our lifestyle changes and we don't put gas in cars or use natural gas going forward, they're going to continue out of that money. But yeah, World Soccer Talk fired off a tweet a few uh, days ago saying that, oh, the Saudi Arabian League has replaced MLS as the league where aging world-class players go. And it was in this written in this snarky way as if that's something that MLS should be concerned about. But I think MLS wants to move away from being that sort of league. So they're not even looking at this being sort of a head-to-head battle with Saudi Arabia. Obviously, in Messi's case, it is. But generally speaking, I don't think that's the category of a league that MLS want to be in. I mean, someone like Hazard, right, who is on the market right now. There was a time when MLS, I think, would you know, bend over backwards to try to figure something out. And I think MLS, to your point, has evolved and changed where it's like, eh, you know, if it's if it's not going to cost us a whole lot, yeah, we'll we'll take a flyer on him here or there. But this isn't, first off, there's a recognition that Hazard coming to MLS isn't change anything about MLS. And 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 sure as hell, they're not going to pay ridiculous amounts of money for for a player like that. But I mean, this is, this is another grand experiment that Saudi Arabia is doing. And, you know, these countries, and we just got over Qatar, that have ridiculous amounts of money, to be fair to Qatar and, and others, oftentimes they do spend it wisely. Um, and there is a method to the madness. But can that migration that we've been talking about actually happen to a place like Saudi Arabia? I think it can, unless somebody else comes in and offers up an alternative, and not just an, a competitive alternative, but a really appealing alternative, which is what the United States, North America, uh, has in their back pocket. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, I will give you my one for the road. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the uh, at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road, Mossy. I, I wanted to talk about uh, our friend Jose Mourinho, but I- I'd like you to set this up because he's he's had an interesting and an eventful week, and I love him because he provides incredible content, and I think he's just an incredibly interesting personality. But he has his moments. Yeah, he's been in the news for all the wrong reasons. Uh, last week, Roma lost to Sevilla in the Europa League final on penalties after a one-one draw. 
And I mentioned this in passing on our last podcast that Mourinho chased after the referee in the parking lot and insulted him. And we kind of laughed at that as something that was not that significant. But then the following morning when that referee, Anthony Taylor, was leaving Budapest uh, with his family, when he arrived at the airport, he was accosted by this mob of Roma fans. Uh, there's video of it out there, ugly scenes. The daughter was crying. The uh, wife was petrified. They were shoved. There, somebody even threw a chair in their direction. So security guards had to step in and make sure they got out of there safe. And a lot of people are blaming Jose Mourinho for creating the atmosphere in which that would happen, given his actions after the game. We can debate whether that's fair or not, but still, it, it, it's not a good look. <laughs> it's not a good look for Jose Mourinho. And it's, well, first off, it's appalling the actions of the Roma fans in that airport. Uh, like you said, not just harassing and accosting Anthony Taylor, the referee, but also his family and kids and it's just, what a bunch of assholes. And, you know, if you want it in Italian, che vergogna, what shame. And these pezzi di merda. And it, it makes me angry that they, in that moment, would think that this in any way is appropriate behavior. And I'm, I'm not absolving uh, Jose Mourinho Look, the emotions of a game, I understand it gets to players, it gets to coaches. You know, when he was screaming and yelling at Anthony Taylor, it was kind of still within the confines of the theater, if you will. And, you know, he's not, he's not physically assaulting him or doing anything like that. He's just screaming and yelling and venting. And referees, men and women for ages, have understood that they're going to get venom thrown their way. That just kind of comes with the territory. And at times it gets to a point where you have to take action. And at times it's just, you know what, you have to have a thick skin. And referees, maybe more so than anybody out there in sports, have thick skins. And it's something that I admire about referees and always reminded myself. And certainly when I started refereeing, certainly not at, at this level, but even at a youth level, maybe even at times even more so at a youth level, you have to have a thick skin. But I, I, don't, I don't put this at the feet of Jose Mourinho, okay? Because again, and too often in our society, we look for excuses and we look for reasons and we look to put blame on others as opposed to taking accountability individually or collectively in this, uh, in this group type of situation. You're being an asshole, not because uh, Jose Mourinho was an asshole, but because you choose in this moment to be an asshole and to do something that is absolutely inappropriate and appalling and disgusting and as a reflection on you as a person. And yes, because you are Roma fans, it's a reflection on Roma. And then by, you know, directly or indirectly, it's a reflection on Serie A. And then it's a reflection on Italians. And you can just go on and on and on. But don't do this. Don't be a dick. Don't 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 be like that. And and I'll leave you with this, Mossy. There's also others, whether they say this publicly or not, that will look to that and, as I said, either, you know, very overtly or not, giggle and say, hey, this is real passion. This is why America, we don't understand yet and we'll never ultimately understand and be able to compete at the highest level because we don't have that type of emotion that transcends the actual theater and permeates into society. 
Well, you know what? I hope we never do. And if it means that we never win a World Cup or we're never as popular as other sports, uh, as, as other uh, leagues when it comes to soccer around the world, fine, I'll take it. Because I would rather that as American soccer fans, we be human. I would rather that, that we behave appropriately. I would rather that we have perspective and an understanding that ultimately, this is a, just a, a game, just a bunch of humans running around in shorts and kicking a ball. Mossy, anything? Uh, after Roma's final Serie A game against Spezia this past weekend, Mourinho gestured to the fans in, in a way that seemed to indicate that he's staying. Uh, it does sound like Luis Enrique and Nagelsmann have moved ahead of him in the PSG pecking order. I do wonder if the events of the last few days influenced that at all. The, the whole thing, uh, the way he set up his team in that final was very negative. Um, against Sevilla, they ended up losing. And then his behavior afterwards, uh, this whole brouhaha with the referee. I don't know. I wonder if that got into the heads of the PSG directors and you know, my Mourinho might be more trouble than he's worth. Reminded everybody of why his stock had kind of fallen in the first place. So so you you think that Mourinho is living off of the past in that. And I kind of look, I always have a soft spot for him, as a lot of people do. I feel like there's a there's a there's a final chapter. And I, I want that to be positive. I want it to be good. I want it to celebrate everything that he has that he has done. Where that ultimately happens, I don't know. Or even if that happens, I don't know. But the game, despite his antics and despite some of the things that he has done that we can disagree with, the game has benefited and is better with Mourinho in it. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, listen, thank you, everybody, for uh, sending your questions in, whether it's using that hashtag Ask Alexi or whether it's uh, the folks that... Uh, that uh, use the uh, the hotline out there, which is 657-549-2297. We appreciate them each and every show that we get. We will talk to you again later on in the week for our, uh, our second show, but keep reviewing and uh, keep writing us, keep uh, subscribing and rating and doing all the different things that you do. We appreciate it so much. So until later on in the week, we say goodbye. And until then, and as always, size the day. <laughs>